Welcome to the Junkets Games podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a recent Good Games vlog where I discussed Blitzkrieg, Curious Cargo, Furnace, and Praga Kaput Regni. Now, if you'd like to hear just part of the podcast, then feel free to go to the description where you will find timestamps for each of these individual segments. At this point, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. Now, you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games, and I do hope that you would consider supporting that campaign if you enjoy my vlogs in podcast form like this one here. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about games, and the first one is Blitzkrieg, or I guess Blitzkrieg, because there is an exclamation point at the end. Uh, now, this one came out a couple of years ago, I believe. Uh, the designer is Paolo Mori, who has designed many games like Vasco da Gama and Dogs of War and lots of other ones that I can't think of at the moment. Now, Blitzkrieg is a two-player-only game, and I've heard good things about it um, through the grapevine uh, for a while, and almost a month ago, I had the opportunity to play this once. Uh, so I've only played it once at this point, but I really enjoyed it, and I'm actively looking forward to more opportunities to play it. Um, in fact, I've already tried to buy a copy of it, but at the moment, it seems like it's out of stock anywhere, but a new uh, production line is supposedly happening. Um, I guess <laughs> I should talk about the game a little bit, but obviously I liked it so much that I do want to go out and buy it. Uh, now, again, this is a two-player-only game, and the tagline is uh, it's World War II in 20 minutes, so it's supposed to be a very quick game overall, and I think my one play of it was probably about that, maybe closer to 30 minutes, but it was definitely not a long experience. Now, in this game, you set up a uh, abstracted map of World War II in the middle of the table between you, uh, you and your opponent, and uh, all you're going to do on your turn is place a tile down onto an open theater in one of those different regions. Um, now, the uh, open areas that you can play into are at the top of these grids where tiles can go, and every time one of the rows is complete with tiles from either of the players, you then essentially score that row, and a variety of different things can happen, and uh, once all of the rows have been scored for that area, then um, that will also cascade into some other actions. Now, I'm not trying to go into the details too much, but um, realistically, it feels like a serious tug-of-war game. In fact, every one of these regions has a tug-of-war track along the top of it. When you put tiles down, they have numbers on them, usually, and that is the amount of uh, spaces you're going to move the tug-of-war token back towards your side. And depending on what side it is at, that is going to uh, affect the things that happen when the rows will complete. Um, now, again, it's been about a month since I played, so I'm a little hazy on some of the specifics, but um, as far as the general purpose stuff is concerned, you are really trying to just win all of the battles that you can by pulling those um, tokens over to your side of the uh, tug-of-war track. But realistically, the game is all about having a certain number of victory points. Like, the game ends once you hit a victory point threshold. And so what that means is you can try to blitz through and get a whole bunch of points early, or you could play more of a long game. Uh, now, in my one play, I lost because I was definitely going for more of a long game experience, and suddenly the game just kind of spiraled out of control. I was in some really good positions in a lot of the different theaters on the map, but a few of the battles resolved quicker than I expected, not in the way that I expected, and suddenly the game was over and I had lost. Um, so that was definitely an interesting thing to see from a tempo perspective. Like, you can definitely think a little bit too long-term uh, and, you know, potentially lose the entire war because a couple of battles don't go your way, even though you have a good infrastructure. Uh, now, whenever you place tiles down, um, most of the spots on the board have icons underneath or on the spot where you place the tile, and when you place the tile down, you get 
get to perform that action. Um, these can do a wide variety of things, including moving some of the tug of war tokens, or maybe even letting you research into more powerful tiles. The way that works is you just draw a random tile out of this bag of technology and you put it into your bag. And then you hope to pull that out of your bag at some point soon so that you can place it out and it could definitely change the tide of the battle. And your opponent doesn't really know what's going to be coming with from those. Um, so now you do have a, a draw bag, like I said, and in this game, you're going to draw up a certain number, I believe it's just one of tiles at the end of each one of your turns. Again, don't quote me on some of the specifics, but another way that you can actually lose this game is if you run out of tiles in front of you. Uh, now, there are ways that you can actually play multiple tiles at once, which does seem good in the moment, but it means your hand is getting, your hand size is getting lower. And there are ways that your opponents could actually bomb you by placing tokens onto bomb symbols to actually cause you to discard some of your tokens. And again, if you have nothing in your hand, then you've effectively lost the war because you have no way to actually uh, reinforce anything. So that will cause the game to end. Um, so overall, that, that's essentially the game, again, at a very high level. And I was really impressed by it. Uh, the rules teach was very quick. Um, the game just kind of teaches itself almost with the icons and the way the board flows. And while I don't play that many two-player only games, uh, this one really impressed me. Uh, so I, I do want to get a copy of this one once it's not prohibitively expensive. And I, I think that should be the case at some point in 2021 based off of some of the forum posts that I've seen. Um, I, I think that this is the kind of game that you could play a lot <laughs> and really kind of figure out the push and pull and figure out how uh, fast to go and how, you know, how to handle early defeats and try to go for long-term goals while also not tripping up and landing on your face like I kind of did in my play, but I still had a great time doing it. <laughs> That's always a very good sign for a game. So yeah, uh, Blitzkrieg is a big thumbs up for me. I'm looking forward to playing this one more uh, as soon as I can get a copy, or I could just keep playing it on Tabletop Simulator, I suppose. It'll likely be a mixture of those two. So let's now move on to the next game, which is Curious Cargo. Uh, now, strangely enough, this is also a two-player only game. I didn't plan for that to happen. Uh, and I actually played this one once just a few days ago. Uh, now, Curious Cargo came out many months ago. In fact, I've had a physical copy in my house for several months at this point, but um, haven't really had an opportunity to play it. Now, this game was designed by the same designer as Pipeline, and in a lot of ways, it has taken the uh, pipes aspect of Pipeline and turned it into this two-player experience. So you don't have any stocks, you're not buying supplies and selling supplies in this game. Realistically, it's just about the tubes that you are building on your player board trying to make long connections of these red and blue tubes, trying to essentially ship them out. Uh, now, this game has a really interesting idea where on your player board, you're going to be putting these different tiles down to make these tubes. But on the left side, you're going to put trucks. Now, this is your shipping area, and the trucks line up with some area where you can actually line these uh, tubes up, or I guess pipes. And then if the empty cargo spot in your truck lines up with a long blue pipe all the way back to a blue uh, distribution hub, then you'll put a blue resource on that truck. Um, now, you're trying to put blue and red resources down onto these. And eventually, when you add more trucks, it pushes the first one up. And if it goes to far up, it actually leaves your area and then enters the right-hand side of your opponent. Now, the right-hand side of your area is the receiving side. So that means I've essentially made resources, I've put them in a truck, and I've shipped them off to my opponent, and it's now arriving in their area, and they will get a significant amount of victory points if they are able to receive those goods. Now, this is a competitive game, so you do not want them to actually be able to receive these goods, but the way they do that is if they're able to line up the same color pipe to the receiving area, 
back to one of that color hubs, then it will essentially suck that thing back up. And they can put it down onto their player board where it will be worth points to them and also uh, potentially give them various bonuses. So there is this really strange <laughs> in and out thing going on as you're actually putting down these pipes on your board. You're trying to send things to the left to get rid of them because you pull those off your board and you get points for that. And of course you want things to go to the right so that you can receive the stuff that your opponent has also made. Now, that's a very high-level idea behind essentially the whole game, but then when you get down into the actual mechanics of the game, it is a little bit more complicated. Um, each one of the rounds has uh, two different phases to it, essentially. One is the construction phase, where you're actually putting these tiles down to extend out your pipes, and the other phase is trucking. And within each of these phases, there are yet more options and kind of things to uh, tunnel down on. The construction phase is a little bit simpler. You get three action points. For each action point, you can draw a random tile, or you could place a tile down onto your board somewhere. So you're trying to uh, work out how many you draw versus how many you place, and you can store your tiles in little stacks at the end of your turn. So you don't necessarily have to spend all your actions drawing because you might have some in front of you already. Um, now, when you get to the trucking phase is really when the complexity of the decisions as well as the rules kicks into play. Um, you can do a single trucking action and they um, let you do things like play a trucking card to add a truck down so that you can put things onto the truck. You can also um, discard trucking cards to get various random tiles that you can then play later on in the game. And the third thing that you can do is discard your tiles to draw a random truck card. Uh, now there's no basic drawing mechanism for truck cards. You will get them as bonuses for doing a variety of things, and I'm trying not to go into too many specifics here, but this is one of the main ways we found to actually draw new uh, truck cards. So it's a little bit funny. Um, you only get to do one of these things, so you might get rid of tiles to draw a card, or you might play a card to draw tiles, uh, and you might find yourself in the construction phase drawing tiles to then discard those tiles in order to draw a truck card. But maybe those tiles weren't really good for you, so there's a lot of kind of influx and outflux of things going on. You take tiles to spend tiles to get cards and everything. Uh, now, on top of that, there are several different tokens in the game. Uh, you've got these gear tokens, which are construction tokens that you can spend to get some more construction actions, and there are also trucking tokens uh, that let you take another trucking action and draw a card, and then there's splitter tokens that let you split pipes. And the reason I'm kind of saying all these things <laughs> quickly at you is because um, my biggest criticism of the game after playing it once is that it's not a very streamlined affair. <laughs> uh, at its core, this idea of like ship things to the left, receive things to the right sounds super simple and elegant. But when I really got into the rules and also when I got into teaching and playing the game, it seemed like... <sighs> You know, throughout the entire game, we had a one page of the rulebook out in the middle of the table so that we could constantly look back and see like, okay, what are our options again in the trucking phase? Okay, it's this, this, or that, and that's how this one works. And it's not like the rules are that complicated. The person I played with uh, plays heavy euros all the time. Like we're both very competent gamers, but it just seemed like there was a lot. Uh, you know, th at the end of the game, I won, but then my opponent realized that they should have won, but they could, uh, they, they forgot they could spend a trucking token to draw a card and then play another truck, which would have done this and that and the other thing. So they actually lost out on the opportunity to win because it was kind of under a couple of layers of decisions and complexity that are in this game. Uh, now, I think some people are going to love all of that extra complexity. Um, I have to admit that while I did enjoy this play, and I am looking forward to playing it more, 
I wish the game was more streamlined. Uh, I wish there wasn't all these extra tokens all over the place. I wish there weren't like all these uh, different options to do during the trucking phase. I just feel like there is a gem of a game in here somewhere that has a lot of extra rules piled on top of it. Uh, but at the same time, I had fun. <laughs> at the same time, you know, it was it was neat puzzling all these things together. It was neat trying to figure out how I could get the cards I needed. So, you know, discarding certain tiles that wouldn't work for my setup and trying to get new truck cards that would work. Um, the overall playtime was probably about 30, maybe 40 minutes. So I don't think it overstayed its welcome. And um, it was just kind of a, an odd game overall, but like a pleasantly odd game. Uh, so yeah, I guess if my biggest complaint about the game is it's not exactly what I wanted to, it to be, but I still enjoyed it, then that's still a relatively positive thing. Um, I don't think I'm going to be rushing out to play this one over and over again, but I do see myself trying to play this one again, especially with the, the my friend who's already played it. Um, not that the teach is very long. I think I would probably teach it much faster now that I've actually played it through the game. Uh, this is one of those situations where I read through the rule book and I said, okay, I know the rules, but I don't get it. <laughs> I definitely had to play through an entire game to see how all of this stuff ended up working out together. And uh, it did end up working out, just maybe not quite as elegantly as I was hoping. Um, now, I haven't even talked about the end game scoring because it's stranger than you would expect, but I don't really think going into those details are important. Um, it's fine. I have no problem with the way it scored at the end. And I was certainly happy to win, although it was kind of funny to find out in retrospect that my opponent could have won if they had just seen a slightly more complicated way way to get through their turn. So I guess the, the final thing that I should say about Curious Cargo is the fact that um, this is a very puzzly game, and that is something that I like, uh, specifically with the pipe puzzle. I've enjoyed pipe puzzle type video games since I was a kid, and I've enjoyed just about every pipe building type puzzle game that I have played, uh, board games as well. Like Indigo, I think is amazing. And Past Tally is also an amazing pipe building style game. So I was definitely predisposed to enjoying this one because I really like piecing all these things together. And you know what? I know I've talked about this for a while, but there's one more wonderful thing about this game uh, that uh, I haven't seen in any game like this before, and that is the scaffolding tile. Uh, now, in many games like this, you could place tiles down onto the board and you can stack them on top of each other, but you're never allowed to have it kind of leaning off an edge, and that same rule applies for Curious Cargo. However, you get these five scaffolding tiles, which are essentially a half tile that you can use to essentially slide underneath it so it wouldn't be leaning anymore. I love the fact that these are in there because it really expands the number of options that you have. Um, in these games, normally you're like, oh, I can't place like that because it's leaning. But in this game, five times you can say, you know what? I can place it there because you slide this little sub piece underneath and then it just works out. So I think most of my enjoyment of the game and my, my the pleasure that I got from playing it was through puzzling all of these things out because I'm just predisposed to like it. And I think the game does do a good job of that. And I just <laughs> love those little scaffolding tiles. Either way, I should probably stop talking about Curious Cargo at this point, And we can now move on to the third game, which is Furnace. Um, now, Technically, I don't think this game has officially released just yet, but there is a uh, mod for it on Tabletop Simulator, and I have played this one once about a month ago, and some of my friends have played this one a couple of times. Now, I've been uh, quite excited to play this game since I very first heard about it because the premise is pretty brilliant. Uh, now, the first thing I heard was that it was an auction game, and immediately I was turned off. <laughs> I don't personally like auctions. I, I think they're fine to exist. A lot of people enjoy them in games, but I'm not a big fan. But then I learned it's kind of a raw style auction system instead of a normal one. And what I by that, I mean you have a certain number of tokens in front of you, and you will use those tokens in a discrete fashion to bid on a certain thing. Uh, now, in Furnace, you are going to lay out a certain number of these cards in the middle of the table, and they have some icons on the top 
top and some icons on the bottom. Now, in each one of the game's four rounds, this is a relatively quick game, uh, you are going to be placing your bid tokens out, which are a one, two, a three, and a four. And the player who has the highest bid token associated with a card will get to take the card and add it into their tableau. Now, that means the other people who bid on that card don't get to take it. And normally in auction games, those people are just out of luck. But that's not the case in Furnace. Now, every single token that was put down onto that card that was not the highest will then get compensation. And that is what the icons at the top of the card are. So that means if I put a three down onto a card because I want it, and then somebody else comes with a four, well, they're going to take the card, but my three goes up to the top. And I will now take the icons on the top three times. You multiply that by the value of the token that you've put down. So there are many times where you actually don't want the card. You want to be outbid or you intentionally underbid so that you can generate the resources or the effects that are printed at the top of the card. Now, once you actually buy some of these cards, once all of these tokens are put out um, and everyone gets their cards, you will then run the cards essentially as an engine. And it's a relatively simple engine. You are going to make various resources in some ways and then turn those resources into other resources or potentially coins, which are victory points. And the person with the most points at the end of the game wins. So you are trying to grab the cards that will fit together well with the other cards that you have in front of you already. Maybe you make a whole bunch of oil based off of some other cards that you have. And there's a great card out there that turns oil into points, well, you probably want to try and bid really high to get that card. Uh, now, there is one other restriction when it comes to bidding on these cards, and that is that you can never have more than one of a specific um, bidding token go down onto that card. So that means relatively quickly, your options get somewhat constrained with the cards that you're trying to go for. And I think that's actually fine. Um, there, there are quite a few cards that you can pick from, but you know, it's not the biggest decision space in the world, but you definitely have many different options as you're trying to optimize your overall system. Now, I played this game once. It was four players, and I came dead, dead, dead last. It was <laughs> not even close. All three of my opponents were relatively close up there, and I was like almost half the, the score of them. And it was interesting because when the game was over, I looked at my opponents, and they, for the most part, had almost no resources in front of them. And at the end of my game, I had like 20 resources in front of me. So what that means is I totally deserved to lose because the engine that I built made too much stuff and didn't turn stuff into points enough. So this game is all about that balance between the two. And I definitely flubbed that balance. Um, now, another thing I'd like to mention is the fact that the game comes with these asymmetric characters that you can play with that can certainly uh, vary the game state. Uh, one of them gives that player a fifth token that they can put out to potentially uh, get more compensation or buy more cards. Uh, one of them, like the one that I played, actually um, let me ignore the placement rules. So I could double place on a spot. I could go where other uh, tiles have been with the same number. Um, and there were a couple other asymmetries. And overall, I felt like mine wasn't as interesting as I was hoping it would be. And I left the game feeling like in the future, I would like to try the game without the asymmetries. In general, I do like asymmetries and I don't like blame my asymmetric character for the reason I lost. I think I just didn't play very well. But in this game, it, it seemed like very quickly you differentiate from your opponents based off of the cards that you take. And that seems like it might be asymmetric enough. So Furnace is a game that I really want to play more. It's still on Tabletop Simulator. I just haven't had a chance to play it again on Tabletop Simulator, but this is a game that I am 100% going to be tracking down a copy of once it is available, because I don't think it's currently available. Um, the reason for that is because the... The bidding system is brilliant, and the game is also relatively short. It's like maybe an hour or so for a really thinky, 
uh, experience. <laughs> and even though it's not crazy complex, there is definite complexity that comes into play with the engine that you're putting in front of you. And there are even more advanced ways to play where you can't reorganize your cards and all that sounds crazy and honestly sounds kind of fun. So at this point, my impression of the game is that it is just incredibly elegant and I love seeing elegance in games. Um, by elegant, I essentially mean there's no like side rules on the side. There's no tacked on bonuses or anything like that. It's just a very simple system that works very well. And maybe that's why I feel like I don't want to play with the asymmetries because they almost mess with the elegance of this game. And I just don't see a game that is this sleek that often. So yeah, at some point in the future, I'm hoping to have a copy of this and I'm hoping to get lots more plays because it's really easy to teach. And uh, my one play of it, even though I came super dead last, was still a very pleasurable experience. All right, it's time for the fourth and final game I'll be discussing today, and that is Praga Kaput Regni. Now, I have been really excited about this game for a while. Uh, for many months, people have asked me, what game am I most excited about for 2020? And I kept saying this game, and the reason for that is because this is the newest design by uh, Vladimir Suchi, uh, and also published by Delicious Games, which is his uh, publishing company along with his wife. Uh, now, the previous game that they made through Delicious Games that I loved is uh, Underwater Cities, and um, same designer, same publisher, and I still think that Underwater Cities is completely brilliant. I played it about a month ago after not playing it for a year or so, and man, that game is great. Uh, but either way, <laughs> that designer slash publisher pedigree was enough for me to be very excited about Praga Kaput Regni, and um, I'm glad I finally got to try it. Um, I am technically getting a physical copy of that one from the publisher, so I'm excited to get that, but it currently has a uh, version of it up on Tabletop Simulator, an official mod for it, and it's a really slick mod. Uh, now, last week, uh, I just kind of popped into Tabletop Simulator and was poking around and was surprised to see it there and uh, told all of my friends like, hey, Praga's up online. And within an hour, I had learned the rules and I got my friends together and we played a four-player game of it. So there was quite a bit of excitement. All I really had to say was same designer as Underwater Cities to have essentially all of my Eurogamer friends rush over to try and play this game. Uh, now, thematically, this game is, I believe, essentially about building up Prague um, in the time period of Charles the fifth or fourth, one of those two, anyway, a while ago. And mechanically, this game has a lot of interesting ideas. Uh, at its core, it has an action selection uh, wheel up at the top of the board, and you can take any of the tokens that are around that wheel and then perform one action that is shown on it. Each token has two different actions that are printed there, but the location where you pull that token off is going to be important. First of all, there is likely going to be a bonus associated with it in the middle of that wheel, which could be resources or potentially um, bonus action to get another resource you might need. But then on the outside of the wheel, you might have to spend resources based off of where it is, or you might even gain victory points if it's farther down on the wheel. So essentially, this is an incentivization mechanic, which is one of my favorite things in board games. Uh, what this means is, on your turn, you choose one of these tokens, you do your turn, and then you put it back on the wheel and you spin it. So that means every token that was not selected is going to slide a little bit to the clockwise side. So if a token continues to be passed over by everybody, it's going to continue going clockwise until it gets into the area where it's worth points. And every time it goes up more and more, it's worth more and more victory points to the moment where somebody says, you know what, that action's fine, but I mostly want to do this because, uh, you know, three or four victory points uh, seems significant in the moment. So I love seeing that in the game. Uh, and then what we're actually doing with this game is there are six different actions, and I'm not going to go into all the specifics, but the basic things that you're doing is 
building stuff. <laughs> you can uh, build out cities on the map um, in this somewhat busy but beautiful map area. You're going to place these cities down next to plazas, and they can either immediately get you stuff or potentially get you things later on as you compete with your cubes on those cities. Again, I'm not going to go into all the specifics. This game took me a full hour to teach. <laughs> and you can also build walls in your own area. Now, each person has an action tile in front of them, and you can put walls around it. And another thing you could do is upgrade the actions on that tile by putting new tiles on top of it. Now, this means the actions for the rest of the game will have extra things going on, but there's also a spatial puzzle here, because next to the upgrades, as well as those wall tiles that you put around it, there are little icons. And if you put an icon next to another icon, you get to perform the action of both of those icons. They don't have to match. You, If it's like a door and then some victory points, you get the door and the victory points. If it's a door or a in a door, you get two doors, or I guess they're windows, but either way, <laughs> they're a resource. Uh, so you have a spatial puzzle going on over there as you're trying to spend uh, your resources to actually pull all of these things together. And there's also a road going down the map where you can send your person down it. Uh, once you get far enough, you actually jump onto a bridge at the very end where you can put these various tiles down that have bonuses on them. And when you cover up spots on the bridge, you get bonuses for those. In fact, there's just bonuses all over the place in this game. Uh, there are these two large constructions at the top left part of the board, which is a cathedral and the hunger wall. And you actually play a little mini game over there as well, where you have a cube that you are going to be moving to the left or up. And when you go up, it might cost resources. And the position of this cube will give you various end game victory points, as well as conditional victory points for other tokens. So this is a a system that is alive. <laughs> you've got a spinning gear over here. You've got all these tiles and all these bonuses that you get. You have mini games for your spatial area here, and you've got a mini game for the walls over there. And uh, realistically, you are just trying to get as many points as you can through all of these things. And uh, we played, like I said, a four-player game of it. I've only played once, and it was obviously a first time for all of us. And the game took about two hours and 15 minutes, which is realistically not that bad considering how many things were going on in this game. Uh, now, players are always going to take 16 turns, so that's not going to change, I don't believe, with the player count. So we got through the maximum player count, all of us taking our 16 turns in just over two hours, which um, is better than I thought. I went into this thinking it was going to be at least three hours, so it was quicker than I anticipated. Uh, now, I really enjoyed piecing together all of these things. There's mechanics I haven't even talked about. There's spinning wheels on your board and various uh, track multipliers. This is this is not an elegant game. <laughs> I talked about elegance a lot with Furnace. This is a game, the reason it took me an hour to teach it is because there are so many different individual pieces. And subsequently, one of the people I taught it to has taught it several times as well. And they said it's taken them about an hour to teach it each time as well. So there's just a lot going on here. And this seems like the kind of game where I want my friends to know it so we can just skip right past the teach and jump into the game because the game is actually not that long and the decisions are complex and quite interesting. Um, obviously, uh, when you take tiles, you could take a tile that one of your opponents wants, you know, the action tiles because those actions are important. Uh, when you place cities down on the map, you might place a city where your opponent wants to go. There's a lot of different ways that you can indirectly interact with your opponents as you're trying to modify your efficiency engines, trying to get resources and spend them the best you can. Uh, now, I'm intentionally trying not to dig deep into the mechanics of this one because it takes so long, but 
at the end of the game, we all enjoyed it. Uh, that's the the short version of it. Uh, I quite liked it. Uh, I think everyone around the table did. Um, one player felt like they enjoyed it, but they're not sure how many times they would enjoy it. Another player, like I said, has taught it multiple times and apparently has played it many times at this point. Uh, so in general, it was a favorable uh, uh, reception from all of us. Um, it's got some pretty neat ideas. I enjoy the spatial puzzle of the main board, and I enjoy the spatial puzzle on your own board with the bonus actions and the walls. But I will admit that there's just a lot going on. Uh, you look at this map, and when you look at the details of the art, it's gorgeous. I, I love the artistic aesthetic of the game. But I do kind of wish maybe the backside of the board was more muted so that you could actually see the mechanical parts pop off of the board a little bit more. But this is a, a, a tiny uh, uh, issue that I have with it overall, and it didn't really impact the play. Like, I never misplayed because the art was too confusing for me to understand, for example. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't think this game is going to be for everyone because of the, uh, the overall complexity and length of the teach, but for people who are okay with a teach that long and this number of bonuses and bells and whistles and levers that you can crank, um, this one could be a pretty big hit. Uh, like I said, I am getting a physical copy of it, which I'm pretty happy about because this is a game that I am hoping to play more in the future. I still have my copy of Underwater Cities and... This one is significantly different from Underwater Cities, so they're not directly uh, comparable, but at this moment, I see myself uh, having both of them at least into the medium-run future. Um, Underwater Cities is not a game I'm ever going to be getting rid of, and, and I'm not sure about Praga. Uh, I, I want to play it many more times. I'm not sure if it's going to be a forever game or just a game that I want to play, you know, five or six more times. Uh, time is going to have to tell on that, although there are a bunch of different modules and variants and stuff that you can definitely work in. So I think it's probably going to be more about how often I can actually play it with different people, and maybe if it's often enough that we don't have to do a big rules teach each time, I can see it being played more. Um, there is still that mod up on Tabletop Simulator, and uh, my friends, uh, many of whom, have uh, played it more since then, and I believe continue to enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to more opportunities to play it. I've just played it the one time, and it was last week, and I've been kind of blitzing through trying to play a lot of different games uh, because I'm putting together a top 10 list for 2020. And Praga is certainly one of those that I, I want to keep coming back to. And, and I'm looking forward to having the time to actually do that. Uh, so yeah, that is going to wrap up all of my thoughts on these four games. I've been uh, playing some good stuff recently. And, and I do want to mention, you know, this is my second good games vlog that I've done. Um, I've made the decision that I'm going to be talking about games that I would rank as a seven or better on the Board Game Geek scale. The reason for that is because a seven out of 10 is good. Um, I'm usually willing to play it, whereas six is okay, I could be convinced to play it. Uh, and I think for the good games vlog, I want to talk about games that I do think are good. So that means some games just barely miss. Uh, for example, um, uh, Trois Dice is a game that I played that was fine. It would be a 6 out of 10. It, it was fine, but I'm, I didn't really go into the details of that one. And Dwellings of Eldervale is another game that I played recently that ended up falling in at about the 6 mark, which is why I decided I just wasn't really feeling like talking about it in the Good Games vlog. So yeah, I think that is going to wrap up everything that I have to say at the moment. So that's going to bring this podcast to a close. Thanks for listening. <laughs>